You're listening to the In the Rhythm podcast from the Johnson and Johnson Institute. Dr. Kwaku and Dr. Sogade are being compensated by and presenting on behalf of BioSense Webster Inc. and must present information in accordance with applicable regulatory requirements. Me being in the academic uh, arena, I've tended to uh, participate in initiatives that are very intentional to help attract a diverse workforce for training so that uh, more practices like Dr. Sagade's can exist throughout the country. Working with the Association of Black Cardiology, it takes all of our individual efforts around the country and we can aggregate it. And now we have a way to scale what we've tried to do as an individual, whereby you can put all the energies and resources and ideas together and shape it into something a little bit more impactful so that you can scale this effort to be able to reach more people, to be more deliberate in in what we're trying to do. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to this episode of our In the Rhythm podcast from Biosense Webster. I'm Dave Jackson, and today we are joined by our very special guests, Dr. Kevin Kwaku and Dr. Felix Sagade, as they share with us their journey and career path in cardioelectrophysiology. So without further delay, let's get right to it. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. We're so thankful for your time today. Dr. Sagade, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Felix Sagade, I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist. And I practiced in Macon for the last 25 years. I finished my electrophysiology training at Duke University about that time. And it's been very exciting to be able to build a program uh, for cardiac electrophysiology in our community. I believe we are one of the early uh, community hospitals or non-academic medical centers that built a very robust electrophysiology program in the United States. And I'm very proud for what we've been able to do myself along with my partners. And I'm glad to be here today to talk to you about um, cardiac electrophysiology as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sagadi. Dr. Kwaku, welcome. Uh, good morning. My name is Dr. Kevin Kwaku. I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in New Hampshire, where I direct a program there. We are the only academic medical center in the state of New Hampshire and uh, one of the uh, foremost in the northern New England. My training began uh, with an MD-PhD program at Columbia University. I did some research regarding uh, the basic mechanisms of defibrillation using optical mapping techniques. I then went to do a residency at Mass General Hospital in Boston and then went across town to Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center for cardiovascular training as well as cardiac electrophysiology under the mentorship of Dr. Mark Josephson, who was my chief mentor. I'm excited to join this program today and to speak with you about issues regarding diversity in cardiac electrophysiology. Excellent. Thanks, Dr. Kwaku. And again, thank you both for being here today. Let's go ahead and dive right in. When the subject of diversity within cardiac electrophysiology becomes a topic of discussion, what are some top of mind thoughts that come to you both? Yeah, I think cardiac electrophysiology is a microcosm of medicine in general. You know, for centuries, it used to be the province of, of older white men. And increasingly, of course, especially in this country, there's been some move towards diversifying the workforce to better reflect the patient population that we uh, work for. 
But this progress has been slow and there's still a lot of work to be done. So it's been very encouraging to see uh, young people willing to make the investments that it takes to do this kind of work. And I look forward to, uh, by the time I retire, seeing a much more diverse workforce, both in terms of racial, ethnic, and especially also gender-based diversity. I think it's very encouraging to see some of the progress that have been made over the years. When I finished my fellowship at Duke University about 25 years ago, I was a head black electrophysiologist to train in the United States. And I have seen the numbers have continued to improve, but ever so slowly. And I'm appreciative of some of the efforts perhaps now to bring more attention to the field. And as Kevin mentioned, the problem that electrophysiology covers affects the entire population. And I don't think it's just a disease state that relates to one segment of the population or the other. We have diseases ranging from even pediatric population all the way to advanced age. And so I believe that having a diverse workforce brings a different level of strength and representation to be able to just have a presence to treat various aspects of the population. Hmm. Well, my next question was going to be, tell me about some of the giants in the field that, uh, you know, we talk about standing on the, the shoulders of those who have gone before us, but it sounds like I'm talking to one. So Dr. Scott, it's very much an honor to be speaking to you today. Let me ask you specifically, because you can speak with such a historical perspective, I'd love to hear about maybe some of the efforts that you made early in your career to uh, define and provide uh, clarity and maybe seek guidance and some specificity in the things that you wanted to do? Would you speak to that? If I may speak to that, my first challenge was when I started training and the field was still also quite new and just trying to have a basic understanding of what it is to be an electrophysiologist uh, most of the work was either limited to just being in a research lab or working in the cl clinical arena. My own interest has always been to be to work in the clinical arena. So I reached out to Dr. Fontaine in Pennsylvania, who was at um, Philadelphia at the time. And I also reached out to Dr. Gods Grant, who was at Duke. And so these are two extremes that represent the interest that you may possibly follow. John Fontaine being in clinical um, electrophysiology and Gus Grant being in um, academic basic science research. And just being able to interact with these two individuals helped me to shape the direction I want to follow. And also being able to have people who will be mentors to you that you can just, you know, call upon. I think that's what I would just encourage younger people to do today to really go out there and reach out to different, you know, segments of the field. I, I know it's much more broader now than what we had, and people should take advantage of that. But Dr. Kwaku, were there mentors uh, that were a part of your journey? There definitely were. I originally, I was born in, in Quebec, Canada, and uh, a fairly homogeneous population there. Went uh, to McGill University for undergraduate work. I knew I wanted to go into medicine and I thought I wanted to be a cardiologist and sought out some research experience as, uh, as an undergraduate. All the places that were looking at hemodynamic work were you know, full or, or otherwise unavailable to me. And I stumbled upon a, a basic uh, cardiac electrophysiologist who was studying um, ion channels and, and some of the effects of of drugs, just like uh, Dr. Grant uh, did at Duke. And that was life-changing for me uh, from a professional standpoint. 
completely eye-opening to the point where I almost considered abandoning my pursuit of medicine and going to do a straight PhD in, in basic science. Being on the fence, I opted to do both. So I, I did an MD-PhD program and spent eight years at Columbia University. So that's really where mentorship comes in and where it's really important, uh, like Dr. Sagadi has alluded to. And for me, the, the big one, the big superstar was Dr. Mark Josephson, who, speaking of giants, is certainly one of them. He's known to everybody in the field, literally wrote the textbook on clinical cardiac electrophysiology. And he took me under his wing, gave me tons of opportunities. But also along the line, I had other options and other important mentors. And and for me, for example, even at that early time in my training, knowing that there was the Association of Black Cardiologists in which I was very active in, was another set of mentors, like Dr. Sagadi has become to me, who may have a little bit more of a shared experience than others. And we're able to provide a lot of you know, both networking and a sort of understanding of some of the issues that we sometimes encounter in such a regimented training program as uh, that of electrophysiology. All right. Well, let's dive deeper into your efforts to champion diversity and, and what that has meant for both of you. And, and I think more specifically, um, if there have been any pivotal moments or aha moments or group dynamic moments where as a group you're trying to affect change and it happened. Uh, are there any specific stories that might come to mind for either of you? I mean, there are multiple, you know, um, events that has happened over the years. I think one of the most interesting for me actually started from my residency. I was influenced, as we spoke earlier. Uh, the foundation for me came from a Dr. Ernest Jonas, who was my program director when I was at SUNY uh, in New York on Long Island and directed me to electrophysiology because people were able to train in the 1970s and 1980s. And the experience is that a lot of people train, but they did not really have a chance to have a lab to practice their profession. And so when I moved to Macon to start a program, I saw an opportunity and of course there are challenges. But being able to get the program started, I have a supportive team of um, staff that work with me as an institution was very supportive. And what I've been able to see clearly that we've been able to do, and I think influenced mainly by my background of, you know, seeing where other people may not see opportunity, I could see it very clearly that, well, these people that live in certain rural aspects of Georgia, they need care too. And for us, we did not see any hesitation in providing that care. And so I, I find that to be a very strong aspect of our practice. And, um, and for us that we treat a very diverse population of patients that my encouragement to people listening is that you should strive to do very good work and, and push for excellence in whatever you do. And people that will accept you will accept you and you don't have to worry about trying to be anything else. Just be yourself. And, and fight every day to do an excellent job. I think things tend to work itself out. Thank you, Dr. Scotty. Dr. Kwaku, what are your thoughts? We talked a little bit earlier about you know, sort of disparities in the workforce. And me being um, in the academic uh, arena, we've always, and I've tended to uh, participate in, in initiatives that are very intentional 
to uh, help attract you know, sort of a, a diverse workforce for training so that more practices like Dr. Sagade's can exist throughout the country, basically giving you more people to recruit from. So that began at Beth Israel Deaconess, uh, even uh, where I was involved in a, in a committee specifically targeting uh, minority resident applicants. So even well before they've chosen a subspecialty, because if we don't have diverse residency pool, we're not going to have diverse uh, subspecialists down the road. And that's really the premise of the program that we are you know, embarking upon today in collaboration with uh, Biosense Webster, really targeting even earlier in the pipeline interest and uh, support for folks who uh, may not really know how to navigate the pathways to a career in something so specialized as EP biomedical engineering or you know, clinical cardiac electrophysiology. There's just a host of things that I think both uh, senior high school kids and kids in colleges who may have an inkling of an aspiration to a clinical career have. You know, how do I get into medical school? How do I get into advanced uh, engineering school? You know, I keep hearing about mentorship. I should get a mentor. How do I identify one? What's the door to the ma- or the or the magic key to open this door? Um, there is none, but there are lots of different doors, lots of different keys. And that can be a little bit bewildering, I think, and for trainees who are early on. The reality, though, is to take the African-American population, because there are so few black physicians, you know, it's just a matter of fact that fewer of these students will have a mother, a father, an uncle, a cousin who have gone through these um, process before and they may not have access to the same firsthand information. Yeah, I think just echoing what Kevin just said about, you know, I think the importance of uh, representation is critical because we kind of tend to model behaviors as um, as human beings. And just for me, I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, and not far from a medical school, just saying medical students and doctors was attractive to me that, okay, this is a career path I want to follow. And I've had the opportunity to work with many great mentors um, throughout my career in the United States. And when I moved to practice in making, I remember one of uh, one of God's grants uh, message to us is that don't just go into practice and be the big shot doctor. It's your responsibility to find people to mentor. Not that, oh, I can't find anybody. I can't find them. You go out there and look. So what we did was to just reach out to our local high schools and we're a small practice. We took two students every summer. We've had some to go on to do great careers. Some have gone into medicine. I've not had one go into electrophysiology yet, but um, but some have gone into pediatrics. Some have gone into some one individual works with Johnson & Johnson in your legal department. Some are engineers in different aspects of life. Some are in uh, are nurse practitioners. But I think eventually, I think the what working with the Association of Black Cardiologists does is that it takes all of our individual efforts around the country and we can aggregate it. And now we have a way to scale what we've tried to do as an individual, whereby you can put all the energies and resources and ideas together and shape it into something a little bit more impactful so that you can scale this effort to be able to reach more people, to be more deliberate you know, in, in what we're trying to do. And, um, and to just be able to reach out to a, a larger population than what any one of us can do as an individual. I'm working in partnership with organizations like uh, Johnson & Johnson and Bowson Webster 
helps us to now be able to leverage these relationships and these efforts even into a bigger scale. Yeah, I mean, one thought uh, with respect to sort of the physician and organizational relationships with industry, it's a natural partnership because it's, it's, it's just a, an extension of the partnership that occurs every day in, in, in the electrophysiology laboratory, in the hospital, and in the clinic. The reality is industry provides the tools that we use to heal. And without an operator, the system doesn't work. Without the tools, the system doesn't work. The two together have to work well together to achieve good outcomes, health outcomes. Unfortunately, in many realms uh, in the healthcare in this country, that's not the case. Uh, as been already alluded to, there's some major disparities and differences um, in terms of diagnosis of illness as well as treatment of illness. Um, and certainly in the cardiovascular space across race, ethnicity, gender, and also you know, socioeconomics, which is often reflected in the urban and rural sort of spectrum. This is why, you know, Dr. Sakati and I are here today helping and, uh, and, and working with Biosense to achieve another step towards this goal of, of equity, both in terms of patients' outcomes, but also part of achieving that is having a workforce that reflects the patient population that we serve. So we were speaking earlier about partnerships between industry and individuals such as yourselves, uh, and, and then also associations such as the Association of Black Cardiologists. I'd be interested to hear from you if the conversations surrounding that topic are any different uh, once the uh, the hospital systems enter the conversation or uh, the the environments surrounding uh, when when this topic comes up. Curious about your thoughts there. I think that's a critical component that we have to make sure is always represented at the table. We have to get by in that the value is that, you know, the health systems have an opportunity to have a diverse workforce as well. My own main concern or what I'm really worried about is that when younger physicians, especially minority physicians and healthcare workers go into practice, how do you create an environment of structure to help them navigate through some of the pitfalls that may happen in the career in medicine. It's just not only to have a professional mentor to help you decide on clinical scenarios, just to have a life mentor, somebody to talk to, you know, if you're having challenges. I think it's very important for everyone to have, some, you know, some, some mentoring program. And what we are doing as an association, what we are doing as an industry, and I think if we could get... Um, large health systems to buy in, then they're already in the communities and it serves as yet another effort to be able to reach a larger group of people. I'm curious if you would share a story with us about overcoming a challenge uh, in your practice. For me, one of the challenges I had when I came to Macon was this issue of competition among physicians. Sometimes people can see you as a threat, you know, that they just don't understand what this guy here doing, what, you know, you kind of disrupting some type of equilibrium. And so how do you navigate that when, you know, you feel some kind of obstacles are deliberately put along your path and it may affect your referral sources, it may affect your ability to, to get patients. But I think my own adaptation, like I mentioned, was, you know, you have to go out there yourself 
and make sure that, you know, you meet everyone. You go there and just introduce yourself and tell people what you do. At least I always say, give people an opportunity to say no. Don't say no on their behalf. But you'll be amazed that just, you know, making that effort reflects you in a different light. I learned this from a family physician that I just go meet people. And so it has helped me personally in my own journey. What are some things that you are observing in uh, local, regional, national conversation uh, surrounding these topics uh, that are giving you hope? You know, light is being shined on certain scenarios and uh, things are being talked about, uh, changes taking place, the needles moving, all that. What is giving you hope right now? The reality is I think the bigger the, the boat, the longer it takes to turn around. So when you're asking a, a big system, uh, you know, a large system to sort of change their hiring practices and, uh, and, and provide uh, appropriate support for their new hires and also career development in a way that may not have uh, traditionally been the case. I see a whole host of institutions and entrepreneurial situations that are now putting up that money as an investment. And it's not a short-term investment. Uh, it's, it's a long-term investment. And so because of that, I can understand the reticence, but it seems like that reticence is going away. Dr. Sagatti, I want to ask you, uh, again, the historical perspective that you bring to the conversation is amazing. So I am curious, what are the things that are bringing you joy right now in your practice? I come from a philosophical frame of mind to always look at things as best as possible, whether it's a quarter full or half full cup. And I think you can begin from there. And so we look at all the positive things that, you know, we're having some increased numbers compared to, you know, when I started, I would love to have seen a make more major shift. And just the ability to be able to at least have conversations in a very deliberate manner, in a structured manner that, okay, what are we going to do about these problems? And you look at these issues that we're talking about in electrophysiology affects every aspect of life, medicine. And I think the joy is that to be part of a process, like you mentioned, we're not boiling the ocean. But we can influence in the areas of life where we all have an opportunity to. And so I think that gives me hope that, you know, we have a very deliberate effort. And like I said, you know, working with Barsons, Webster, ABC, and perhaps L systems, then we can scale what people have done in different pockets all around the United States, you know, maybe around the world. I just wanted to add on the hope aspect. One thing that I'm uh, encouraged to see is transparency. We've just dedicated this entire podcast to diversity in cardiac and electrophysiology uh, medicine. This was unheard of as early as five years ago. This is just another aspect of our society that we can address to make it a you know more perfect union, if you will, in, in this country. But also, you know, striving towards a, a the, the goal again, ultimately to provide the best possible care we can to the largest number of people all the time. I think it's good that the young people will be able to see that some organizations, entity, ABC, industry, and the individuals who put this program together care enough about the future for them. And also, it gives the people who are doing these programs too that in life, you want to feel you have made some contribution. 
to society. You just did not come and take and say, okay, my time is up. I've lived a good life. But, you know, uh, you have an opportunity to be able to impact. I think that's also fulfilling. So I think they hope that we have an opportunity to be able to influence this generation. And um, and it's exciting that, you know, we could have something like this put together. And for me, I'm looking forward to see the impact. We may not show up very quickly because you're starting at a very, very fundamental level, you know, about guiding people, showing them another part to life. And I think this is uh, very encouraging and promising for me. Well, Dr. Shigati and Dr. Kwaku, thank you so much for giving of your time and your insights here today on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of our In the Rhythm podcast from Biosense Webster. Our sincere thanks to Dr. Kevin Kwaku and Dr. Felix Sagati. And I also want to thank you for listening and let you know we would love to hear from you and get ideas on what topics might be of interest for future podcast episodes. Once again, this is Dave Jackson saying thanks for listening and be well. This podcast is sponsored by Biosense Webster, Inc. The information contained in this podcast and findings and conclusions expressed are those reached independently by the authors. Copyright 2023 Johnson & Johnson Services, Inc. All rights reserved. EOS number 243-289-230-317.